Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. This is my dad, Ted. Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Knightsky. I was in a meeting the other day with a large group of people and I had presented to them on the power and impact of the future adults and students who they were about to meet throughout the schools they were touring, the current Generation Z. I love this generation, and I have loved the other two generations I have had the privilege to teach. As a matter of fact, I get in plenty of arguments about generational differences with people because I don't believe that kids have really changed that much. I think the environments around them, I think that's changed. Now, when I was in high school a million years ago, I used to copy my ideas out of encyclopedias and would get lectured on plagiarism. And today, we worry about artificial intelligence writing papers for kids. When I was a kid, my fellow students at the age of 16 could smoke on our high school campus, and teachers regularly bummed cigarettes from their own students. And today, we've got kids inhaling nicotine and THC-laced steam called vape. I could go on forever with the parallels between my generation and the current generation and how it's just a little bit different, but the kids are the same. It's just they have different stuff. This idea that we were better back in our day or in our life, well, it's hard to believe after a while. I also have noticed a few other trends in our world, and they're both wonderful and consequential for us. I will hear hear people say things to me all the time like, Ted, this is because the family structure has fallen apart. Uh, Family structures are different. But then, let's take a look at the data. Because in 1970, in the entire United States, there were 7.4 million children living with a single mother. That's it. By 1985, that number nearly doubled. Just 15 years later, 13 million children living with a single parent. With that number changing every 15 years, it's fair to assume that there must have been a lot of kids living with single parents in the United States every 15 years, almost doubling. But by 2012, it didn't double, but it was a whopping 17.9 million kids living with a single parent. Something strange happened, though, between 2012 and 2022. There's a decrease in the children being raised by single parents. As a matter of fact, every year after 2012, it has slowly declined in the number of children being raised by single parents in the United States. It's down now to 15.2 million, and the decade-long trend is going down. Less kids in single-family homes now than there were before. Now, granted, there are less kids total in the United States, but the two-parent trend is actually rising, and single-parent trends are declining. So it's an argument that can be made, but they're still kids. There's also a shift in the amount of families being disrupted by divorce because less people are getting married, but those that are married are staying married. In 1992, there were 4.7 million divorces in the United States. And in 2022, it was 50% less at 2.3 million. Now, yes, there were less marriages, but the ratio is what matters and the ratio is declining. Less kids being raised by single parents, less divorces, less marriages, less everything. But weirdly, more issues. There are absolutely more issues. However, I don't blame the kids. Actually, I don't blame anyone. I just think that we have gotten away from some traditional practices that used to really work. We have stopped trusting the schools 
the coaches, the teachers, the adults in our kids' lives, their bosses, their employers, the people around them, heck, some of us, our own families, all of the basic institutions that we used to talk so wonderfully about, or at least we romantically remember. Instead of the way it used to be, we have somehow come to accept that we want it to be the way it used to be, but we will wildly defend every action of each other, each of our kids, each of the lives, each of their decisions, and we do not treat the support structures the way we used to. I'm going to sound a little pessimistic here at the start, and I don't mean to be, but I've now been in education for three decades, and while I constantly hear that the kids are changing, the reality is they're the same. It's the support structures that have changed. Now, I'm not casting blame because there are many things that have gone right in the last few decades. Kids are more empathetic, they are more accepting, they are more generous, at least Generation Z is, and they're more concerned about the future and sustainability than, say, my generation. They're selfless, not selfish. So the other day, when I did a session for a large chamber of commerce group that was going into leadership and studying the schools, who, by the way, they were pretty awesome people, well... When I was finished telling them how amazing the kids they were going to see were, one gentleman came up to me and said that he employed younger people and that the work ethic and expectations of millennials and Generation Z were incredibly disappointing. He counter-lectured everything I had talked about for about 10 minutes, and then I caught my face. I had R-W-T-H-I-H face. Yeah, resting what-the-heck-is-happening face. As he talked about all these kids and their lack of respect for hard work, their lack of willingness to do anything, I kept thinking, this is such an overgeneralization. He kept speaking of their lack of respect for adults and traditions. And finally, I said, hey, can I ask you two questions? He said, yeah. Question number one, do you have children? Well, he was my age and he said, yes, I, I have two. I have, I have two kids. I was like, fantastic. How old are they? They're 22 and 25, he said proudly. And I said, what do they do? Well, my son is frustratingly currently living with his mother and I, and my daughter is in college finishing it. I'm like, excellent. He said, really? I said, yeah, because we are the parents of Generation Z, and these millennials you are blasting, and I think we bear a lot of responsibility for their success, are people we need to take responsibility for and support. Would you agree? He gave me a look like, wait a minute, I think you're up to something. But before he could get defensive about his point of view, I asked him, hey, we're about the same age, so do you remember the movie Footloose? And he got all excited. He's like, heck yeah, one of my favorite movies. And then he quoted Kevin Bacon going, hey, hey, I thought this was a party. Let's dance. I said, have you ever thought of that great 80s movie from the perspective of the parents? Like being empathetic now that you're a dad and thought, ooh, those kids were really disrespectful, rude, lazy. They broke traditions. They were self-centered and rebellious, making out at the mill, drinking underage, racing tractors, and skipping school. Because that was us. Kids haven't changed, just the conditions. You see, each generation has signature differences, but we're all products of our homes and then our schools. Both can work together to support the future, but you can't blame the kids all of the time. We are raising them. We are their role models. We created all of this. If your child is a self-absorbed, disrespectful child and they have no scientifically demonstrated disabilities, they're a product of their environment. Weirdly, as I was walking away from the kids are all messed up guy, another person came up to me and asked if I could help her with her daughter. I was like, sure, I'll try. What can I do for you? 
She went on to tell me that her third grade daughter had underperformed on a standard reading assessment, and the parents took her to the pediatrician asking if there might be something wrong with the little girl. The doctor, apparently, much to mom's disappointment, said, there's nothing wrong with her. So the mom then went the next step, and she explained to me that she went to a counselor, a private counselor, asking for an evaluation to see if there was something wrong with the little girl. Same answer. There's nothing wrong with her. Well, then she then went to a private reading specialist, having her assessed, hoping they'd find something wrong with her. And to her surprise, they said, she's fine. She just needs to spend a little more time reading. She's at level. This mother was very distraught and even more disappointed that there was nothing wrong with her daughter. I thought to myself, how bad was her reading delay? So I asked, and the mom said, well, she's actually at grade level, but we think she should be advanced. I took a very deep breath and thought, oh, I've seen your type before. You've read online that everyone is either on the spectrum, dyslexic, has Asperger's or ADHD, and now you've convinced yourself that your child needs a label because normal is not good enough when it's actually a really good thing. I got into my car and I drove back to a meeting and couldn't stop thinking about the differences between these two conversations and the simple idea that in 2023, a parent or parents are looking for labels and to cast blame for their children that they have produced, that we have produced. Well, guess what? Every generation that the old people complain about, they created. There is soup-thick irony when grandparents complain that their grandchildren are always on their devices as they're telling you that while playing Candy Crush on their iPhone. We need to stop judging and start being empathetic, creating structures for our children and being role models of what we expect. Now, I am not the greatest parent on the planet, but my wife and I have always been aligned. We've always studied. We've always talked. And when we're not in alignment, we figure out how to compromise for the best things for our kids. But what I'm about to share is not from my experience as a dad. It's actually from my observations in every context of my life. As a son, as a father, as an uncle, as a neighbor, as a teacher, as a principal, a superintendent of schools. I'm taking a little risk here, but parents, parents... We need to change our behaviors quick and stop complaining about the children. They are our children after all. So what I did was I sat down and I looked at the research and I came up with 10 tips and reflections for parenting Generation Z and the Alpha Generation kids. Now, before I share this with you, I want to share with you the comments made about me as a coach because I think it helps bring context to where I bring all of this from. Because I was always accused of being old-fashioned. I started teaching and coaching when I was in my 20s. My first coaching job, actually, was when I was 20 years old. I had an under-14 select soccer team that I was put in charge of. And I coached my last match when I was 50, 30 years. My first year coaching when I was a college kid, my club director at the end of the season came to me and told me that the parents were really pleased with me this season and they really respected me because as a young coach, I had high expectations and was firm When I started coaching varsity, the athletic director told me that he appreciated that I had systems, expectations, and was strict with my players. By the time I was coaching my own son and daughter, 20 years later, parents were requesting me, and on my evaluation, the same thing came up over and over. He's old-fashioned, and kids respect him. The only thing different about me over the course of those three decades, between my 20s and my 30s and my 40s, and then 50, 
is that in my 30s, I was still pretty competitive in practice. In 20, oh man, in my 20s, I could beat all of my players. But in my 40s, I had less hair, less speed, and less ability to accurately demonstrate ball control and execute passes. But I coached the same. I was consistent. I was consistently learning and coached with enthusiasm, high expectations, processes, and with a very, very loud presence. And I pretty much got the same results over those 30 years. Very little penalties. Always compliments about high sportsmanship, a strong sense of team, success on the field, and a lot of fun. And no one ever walked out of a tournament with a medal for just being there. I weirdly always forgot to pick those up. Old-fashioned? How about just normal? I coached against people that I saw their parents of their players yelling at them at the game, in the game, in the progress of the game, during halftime. I saw kids walk away from coaches, walk right across the field in the middle of a match and quit. I saw people be disrespectful to officials and the players yelling at officials right alongside their coach and swearing at them when they were under 16. And that was not recently. That was always. Kids are an offshoot of the people around them. We all are. So, here are 10 tips for parents, guardians, and anyone who works with kids from an old-fashioned coach. Number one, we made them, we can't blame them. Stop blaming the child and start to look within to figure out what is going on. If you're dealing with disrespect, it was modeled. If you're dealing with sincerity and kindness, it was modeled. You get what you expect, and a lot of us create micro-infractions with children, and they grow to be macro-issues with from that kid over time because you look the other way for the little things, and one day they make a big, bad decision. And then there you are, stuck. If you constantly give in to your child not eating at the dinner table, you're training them to manipulate you on a bigger scale over time, and you don't even realize it. Become aware of how many expectations you lay out there and walk away from. Parents who make a threat or shout out a consequence and then don't follow through are creating an environment with little reason to be believed by the kid. And parents with silent expectations, well, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt all the time because no one can meet an unspoken rule. Be clear. Follow up. Be consistent. And don't ever quit. They're always learning, watching, and getting the keys to creating their own path of least resistance or great resilience. Number two, that's your phone. If you ever meet my children, Charlie and Grace, and they have their phones out, I want you to ask them, hey, whose phone is that? (laughs) They'll look at you and be like, were you around my dad? They'll pause and say, it's my parents. Somehow, too many of us have forgotten that we actually own everything, that these kids who live in our homes are actually squatters who are going to leave at 18 or 19 years old, and that everything in your home is a privilege and not a right. Somehow, we've become accustomed to trying to ensure the happiness of our children and that they deserve all of the material goods. I was doing a parenting session at a high school in Chicago, and a parent asked me, How much money should my child have on them all of the time? I said quickly and seriously, however much they earned. At least 10 parents wrote that down like it was from a prophet. And that's when it hit me. I'm old-fashioned. 
But if we admire the past so much, then maybe we need to adopt some standard behaviors from the past and remind the people in our custody, our kids, that they have what they have as a result of our generosity and most importantly, our trust in their decision making. That phone on your plan is a privilege. Going out with friends whenever you want is a privilege. Having social media accounts is a privilege. It's all privileges earned through demonstrating trust and smart choices. Part of me sounds, I feel like, I don't know, part of me feels like I sound like one of those old guys in the wings of the theater at the Muppets. But darn it, I really need us to stop blaming the kids and take accountability. The next one, trust the other adults. I'm telling you right now, when a teacher, a coach, or relative has the courage to share with you something that may not be within your perception of your child, please listen. Don't defend. Don't get angry. Hear what is being said and why. It's coming from a place of care and concern. No parent likes to hear anything critical about their own child. I get that. I don't like it. And I know because I get into a weird emotional papa bear place when people criticize my children. But I also move quickly to trust their expertise. When you're given constructive feedback, told your child misbehaves or they're disrespectful, the proper response is, we will address this. Then, It is to go home and talk about how to navigate it in the future, what we've learned, where we failed, reinforce expectations, and then reteach and finally positively reinforce what you expect and especially reinforce when you see what you expect. However, these worthless millennials and Gen Z kids everyone is complaining about, well, they have had parents and guardians not trust the other teachers, coaches, and adults, and now they're in the workplace and nobody knows what to do. If you hear yourself saying things to other adults in the lives of your kids like, well, maybe you shouldn't have done this first, or did you ever think of this Mr. Adult? Do you have any proof that it was my child? Or who do you think you are to say these things? (laughs) Maybe take a deep breath and go watch some movies from the 80s and 90s and put yourself on the side of the parents and ask yourself, how would you have handled it? There are too many people who dedicate their lives to this generation leaving the profession of education, of support, of child care, heck, even of health care, because somehow we've become the problem. Well, I got to tell you, there's a shared responsibility in the success of the child. And when parents take to social media to defend the actions of their children and they don't trust any of the adults, well, I think we'll be able to explain someday why no one thinks anything is ever fair. Start with trust. Ask great questions. Believe the adults that care for your child and reframe it all for their success. The next one, let's talk about some skills in parenting. This is called create codes. Kids need ways to get themselves out of uncomfortable social situations and avoid the bad choices that too many parents end up defending. It's pretty hard to be 14 right now. So many social media platforms to build your life's emojis and personas around, and then those same kids struggle with human interactions because... They don't know what other people are thinking about them until they flip on their phone and find out on a snap. In 2023, the time between a bad idea and it actually taking place is super short. For instance, when I was 14 years old, if I wanted to get fireworks, it took me like 12 days to figure out how to do that and create that network and whose brother or sister had what. Today, it's like 12 seconds after I I am one of my friend's brothers to get those same fireworks. I can just Venmo you the money. As a parent, teach your kid a code that they can text, snap, or call you with. 
<laughs> call you. Oh, Ted. Anyway, at our house, both of our kids know that if they get themselves in a sticky situation, even now and all through their teens, all they need to do is simply communicate with us a question about their Uncle Kirk. For instance, is Uncle Kirk here? Uncle Kirk is my wife's uncle who lives in Indianapolis, which is almost seven hours away, and we only see him once a year. So if his name pops up in a text, it stands out. But the code is simple. Shoot us anything about Uncle Kirk, and then we will fabricate and create an escape plan for you. So here's how it works. Your son or daughter gets themselves into a situation in middle school or high school where there might be alcohol or drugs present, or they're just afraid to be in that situation, and your kid wants out. So they text you, Uncle Kirk. Then you respond, Uncle Kirk is actually here. Where are you? I need you to come home. I'll come and get you. And then your kid gets to tell their friends that his parents are on their way and they have to split. My uncle's in town. Now, two things I hope you heard here. One, it creates emotional and social safety for them and predictability. And second, (laughs) no one says I got to split. Okay, which leads me to my next parenting tip. Clear expectations of consequences in advance. Clear expectations of consequences in advance. When I was a principal, parents would ask me all of the time, why do my kids lie to me? Well, the answer, they've learned it works. They can't predict consequences or they're trying to deflect their true position. What do you do about it? Well, the best thing to do is to actually talk to your children and make the most predictable environments as possible. This means sitting down with them at the various stages of their life and telling the kids what will happen if they make bad choices. I learned once from an FBI interrogator. Yeah, I actually got some training from one when I was an assistant principal. It was amazing. Well, what I learned from him is that if you lay out the worst consequences in advance, many times the real consequences are much less than what the person thought they'd be, and the person will be more likely to get to the truth quicker because they'll be like, oh, that's not as bad as I thought. So instead of allowing a child's narrative to take over, tell them in advance what will happen if they make a bad choice. Here's how it sounds when talking to a teenager. Listen, I want you to know that if you ever make a poor choice and get scared, I need you to call me. So if you've been drinking and get scared, or with a boy and get scared, or smoking and get scared, you can call me. I won't be mad at you. I'll be proud of you. I'll come and get you. I'll make sure you're safe. And I'll take you home. I will care for you when we are at home. And, (laughs) you know, if your kid's been drinking, you'll probably close the door and sleep on the floor. Any bit of sound and you will shoot there. But I will get you to bed and I will make the next day possible for you through an easy conversation. Because the worst thing that will happen to you is you might be grounded for a couple of days. But I will also make sure you know that no matter what you do, I will love you and I will take care of you. Now, if you don't call me and you get into big trouble and you come home sick, then I'll be really disappointed. That's it. And then every time they go out of the house, you repeat it until they're like, I know, I know, I know. Or they're walking out and they repeat it to you. Pretty simple. Next, model conflict resolution. Kids learn all of their survival skills through observation. If you have a shorter temper, guess what? They'll have a shorter temper. If you berate and disrespect people, guess what? They will. If you are kind and generous, guess what? They too will be the same way. Now, a parent or parents who process conflict with their kids and share their mindsets and decision-making model for their kids what it is they need to do. If you and your spouse or partner go into the garage and yell at each other thinking nobody knows, please know that all kids know what's actually going on. They've been watching you since the first day they met you. 
They know what makes you smile, what makes you happy, what makes you cry, what makes you sad, and what makes you mad. By the time they are two years old, it just keeps getting reinforced by you over and over and over again. Are you starting to see why we can't blame the generations and instead we need to accept the responsibility, support kids, and then teach them how to be the best versions of themselves? And you know what the next step is? We have to let them fail. It's okay to get hurt, to get a D or an F, to get cut from a team, not to play in the game, not to have their friends call them up and be not included. It's okay to have your feelings hurt by a friend, to have your heart broken. That is normal. Be strategic in your support of your child. Do not fight every battle for them or even with them. It's our job to guide and most importantly, listen. When kids fail, we need to ask ourselves, what would I have needed in a moment like this if this was me at their age? Then be empathetic and listen. 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 Don't ever talk about how much harder you had it. They don't care. They need someone for them in that moment. Process with them. Guide them to the values that you want them to model in their life. Revenge, vengeance, and blame are too often the responses of parents when kids fail. I have countless emails from parents who blame me because their kids didn't play much, who blame me because their kids' grades weren't where they needed them to be, kids whose parents allowed them to skip practices, sleep in late, and be late for school and break curfew. Somehow it was my fault. I also have emails from parents asking me to show very little mercy in the poor decisions made by their own children because they need to learn. And Mr. Nitsky, please take time with them to ensure they understand the consequences of their actions and the expectations. Parenting is a tough business with no manual. But these tips, oh, they'll make better generations of kids and they'll get you to have a better relationship with your soon-to-be adult child. All right, I've got three more. The next one is be their advocate, not their agent. An advocate is someone who stands beside or behind you and gives you the tools for success. An agent? Well, that is someone who says, get out of my way. I've got this for you. I can't tell you how many times parents who acted as agents threatened me, my career, or even my own family because they believed that there was a grand conspiracy against their child, that there is no way that their child would do something, and often even while looking at the evidence right in front of them, they'd fail to see that they need to step back and be an advocate and not an agent, and to help their child navigate through the consequences of what needs to happen and stop trying to control all of the conditions of their children's lives. Good parents realize that the same issues that occur at home occur in other places. Agents defend. Advocates see everything as an opportunity to learn and improve. Now, a good advocate also realizes a legitimate wrong and guides their child to a self-driven solution and only steps in if there is a safety issue or a mistake that could have significantly impacted their future. One night, when my now 20-year-old son was five, we were laying in bed reading about Narnia. And when I stopped reading, he said, Dad, I don't know what to do about Trent and Aiden at school. I asked him what was happening, and he shared that they were picking on him. I said, Charlie, there's three steps that you need to take. Step one, you need to tell them to stop it and that what they're doing is hurting your feelings. Now, step two only happens if they don't stop it. And when they don't, you walk away. And step three, if they follow you and they continue to do it, well, then you walk to an adult and you ask that adult for help. 
I went to bed that night and plotted the total destruction of these two boys. My mind was racing with anger that my little Charlie, my son, was getting picked on. And when I woke up, I took a breath, went for a run, and I sat Charlie down and we revisited the three steps with his mom. And we told him, we want to hear tonight how it went. That's what advocates do. Agents? Oh, an agent would have gotten the car that night, driven over to the principal's house, rang the doorbell, and demanded that these bullies be expelled from kindergarten. <laughs> Charlie came home that night. He had advocated for himself. We had advocated alongside him, not there, but teaching him. And he came home proud of himself. And weirdly, they stopped picking on him. And Trent is still one of his best friends today. Next one. Stop looking for a cure for everything and start navigating. One of my greatest learnings when I became a teacher was how many parents were trying to diagnose what was wrong with their son or daughter. I couldn't believe how many people thought their kids were like medically broken. It seems like any time a student was not compliant with school expectations, they couldn't behave, they couldn't sit still, they didn't like school, they lacked motivation, didn't do their homework, or were just kind of in a funk, everybody believed there was something wrong with them, even those that didn't read at grade levels like the woman I talked about before. And then parents raced to get diagnoses, believing they had to be, well, their kid has to be something. There's something wrong with them. We've got to have a label so we understand what to do. Many times I was like, this is just a normal kid. I saw myself and many of these kids myself and felt horrible that they needed a label. Now, there are many children who have legitimate needs, but not all of them. And weirdly, parents, I need you to do something. When you're looking at your children... Start with what's right and navigate by making certain the school, the child care center, or the coaches know what's right about them. Make sure they know what you're worried about, what they're worried about, what the kids worried about, what their weaknesses are, what their strengths are. But always start with what is right. Share a profile of who your child is and what motivates them, what their interests are, etc. How to support them, who the people in the child's life are that can be part of the network of support. If you have a child that is, hmm, shall we say, a trying kid... Who else lives in the lives around that kid or who can help them? I loved it when I was a principal or an assistant principal and a grandmother would come in and kick me out of my own office and ask to speak to their grandchild. I would come back into my office when Nana would say it was okay and she would say to me things like, I think we're going to be all right. And the two of them would both have teary eyes. This little boy or girl, this young man or woman who was sitting there before their grandparent came in, talking tough, not afraid of anything, and suddenly we found the key is in the child's entire family network. Almost every time we would find these things, we would find that the kid would be fine. You just need to know who their network is. Now the last one, number 10. The last one is a statement. Kids today are sad, lonely, and anxious. And they just need to have a relationship with a caring adult. A caring adult who sees their values, their gifts, and skills and loves them. I was watching this video the other day of Jamie Foxx, the famous actor who played Ray Charles and countless others in movies and on TV, and he was accepting a Lifetime Achievement Award, and he was introduced by his daughter, who introduced her dad through tear-filled eyes, and he stood up through tear-filled eyes, accepted the award, and said, A man is not judged by his awards and recognition. He is judged by how his children turn out. And that is the last tip. Spend time with them. Talk to them. Love them. And take responsibility for who they will be. 
So let's do some smart thinking. List who needs to listen to these tips. Describe what you can do different to better support the children in your life. And describe one tip that you have already mastered. That's it. That's the Smart Thinking Podcast. Hey, as always, thank you for listening, and please make sure to rate and share this episode. This will be a great episode to send out to the different parent groups in your schools or in your own lives. Anyone who's struggling with a child, whether that be an aunt, an uncle, a niece, a nephew, a neighbor, I don't care who they are, maybe they just need to hear some different ideas and different ways that could spark them to support their children on a better path. And of course, thank you to the Well Pennies for their great music, and please make sure to follow them on your media platform. This reflection and the smart thinking were sparked when adults were blaming younger generations for the way they are. I get so defensive when we stereotype people, and especially young people. There's no empathy there. When you hear people complain that millennials want rewards and medals for the work that they did and they grew up getting participation medals, remember, we gave them those medals. We wanted to have trophies in every kid's room. And now the same people who created those conditions are frustrated while trying to employ those same people who are just looking to make sure they're okay because everything they did their entire lives, people reinforced as excellence. And now they have no idea how to deal with failure. But they do. They just need to be coached through it. And we need to own the responsibility for those younger generations. The other thing to remember is that every generation is frustrated by the other generations on both ends of the age spectrum, the ages above us and the ages below us, because we all want to do it our own way. And all of these other people are just in our way. (laughs) Weird. Last, please recognize that I'm still a parent in training. I've never been a dad of a 21-year-old, and that's going to come flying in here in June. I am a dad who's made a million mistakes, who's laid in bed filled with doubt. All of us, when confronted with our children's future, have insecurities around our narratives. This then creates a little anxiety, which then fuels our emotions, and then causes us to go into an unreasonable papa and mama bear mode. But give yourself grace. Step back. Let them fail. Don't look for labels. Believe the adults in their lives. Support those structures. Lean into those around you and create a network of support and keep learning. Never give up on your child and always embrace the messiness of parenting. After all, buffaloes, well, they only learned how to charge in a storm because their parents taught them. The song we're going to listen to is an upbeat, fun song, and it's a new release by the band Arizona. I love it because we only have one choice. Move on, learn, get wiser, and be your best. So far, so far down Feel ourselves turning inside out Yeah, so lost, we don't be found Kings and queens of our own ghost towns some nights we feel like dancing, some nights we feel like crying, some nights we feel like living, some nights we feel like dying, some nights we feel like staying out, cause we can't stand to be at home. But we'll be alright if we just keep moving on, 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 keep moving on. 
trying Some nights we feel like staying out Cause we can't stand to be at home But we'll be alright if we just Keep moving on, keep moving on, keep moving on, keep moving on Keep moving on, keep moving on, keep moving on, keep moving on When the day is gone, when the night is long, keep moving on, ooh But we'll be alright if we just Keep moving on, keep moving on, keep moving on, keep moving on Keep moving on, keep moving on, keep moving on, keep moving on. When the day is gone and the night is gone, keep moving on. Ooh.